sorry. Shouldn't bring that up. Yeah, I was going to say, if we can get that out of the way. There. This is one of these days where you know you want the service to be great, and everything's set up, and things are working great, and then you find out, guess what? My wife's got a flat tire. We've got to get the truck from Dave, from our, not David, excuse me, David, Martin, and it's been driving back home, and it has been a crazy day, and yet the good news is God is here, we are here, God is faithful. And how faithful he's been. So any of the children who need to go out during this time, and anybody who knows how to get the air conditioner going better, that would be great too, and cool it down a little in here. Just to give you a little update going on, yesterday Kathy and I had a very interesting day. It was a long day, um, but a good day. We were at UTD for most of the day. Uh, and there we got to be with E. Jin as she graduated uh, from there, and, and, and Lee Jin. And also, um, I'll just do a blank. Uh, Lee Jun, thank you. Oh, did I, e. Jin and Lee Jun. And so it was, it was long. But it was fascinating to see all these people. This is a gymnasium that's just packed with people getting their degrees, most of them master's degrees that we were that. And it was a fascinating to look at. We're kind of guessing. It looked to me, the place was packed. All these students come by. At least two-thirds were not, eight, I mean, Americans in that sense, or Anglos. Most of them were Chinese. It was amazing. The people who could, prom who could make those names, I don't know how they did it. It was, they had five groups of people that were doing those names, and how they got it right, I don't know, but it was remarkable. But watching these students come by, and to think of the potential, if they came to know Christ during their time at UTD, what would that impact be as they come back to the, their places where they're serving, where they're learning? What a great thing that would be. Remind us again what a great privilege we have to be involved with ISI and to be working and to be helping and encouraging. And to see them, you know, for example, uh, Lee June's mother, like, come up to Kathy several times saying, thank you so much, or being a mom to, when I could not be there on the other side of the world, that you were there for us. That's something that people remember. That's something they'll remember, like, gee, that they were there for us. That family cared for us over these last two and a half years, and we're so grateful. And the impact that has on them of seeing what Christians are like and how they care for one another. And so it was fascinating to be there and to see so many students and realize the privilege that we have. And over the summer, I know things are quieting down, we're just getting into the summer, but as we get more into midsummer, we're going to be doing more talking about what we can do as the fall comes down. And as we have, many, many of you have had students that you've had in your house, and, and we want to continue that and encourage different ways that we can have an impact. It's hard to believe that UTD, which is now so big, one of the guys who was in the, on the campus was saying, they remember that when they first started up, they said tumbleweed was going across that property. Now it's massive. Now they're talking about doubling it, being a tier one school. And here these people are coming from all over the world, and we've been given an unbelievable opportunity to share the gospel and to live the gospel to show love of Christ to people. And so I want you to be thinking about that. How, in what way, will God want to use you and me to have an impact upon a group of huge number of people that are right in our area? It's something to think about. Let's pray as we come to the scriptures. Father, we are so very thankful that we can come to you today and to hear your word. 
We thank you, Father, for the book of 1 Corinthians. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, the impact that he's had on the lives of millions of people over nearly 2,000 years. And to know, Lord, that that scripture that you've given us, inspired by your Spirit, still speaks to us loudly today to challenge us, to encourage us, to help us to find our way in the midst of a crazy world. And so we come to this passage, Lord, we pray that we are, would have ears that are open and eyes that are there to hear the good news and to want to, to follow you. And we pray, Father, you would be with us now as we come to the scriptures. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing in this series that we just started in 1 Corinthians. And um, kind of we've got an interesting section. We have the end part of one chapter and one beginning of another. But we're calling this, I'm calling this like the upside-down kingdom because we're going to see how things are really different in God's kingdom compared to man's kingdom. But then it's going to deal with wisdom. And as we know, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. The people with whom Paul was working with were enamored with things like uh, wisdom. Wisdom was so important. Being able to speak well, to be an orator, where very people would listen to you with rapt attendance, you know, all this stuff. It's saying that was so important with them. And Peter, excuse me, and sorry, we have Paul comes back again and again saying, you know what, I know you think that's all great, but I need to tell you something that you need to listen to what's going on here, because there's problems here. He's telling them to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, here's what we need to do. So we're going to be looking at this passage here. We just read a couple minutes of review to remind you, if you are here last week, maybe you're not, Paul is dealing with an issue. There's quarrels going on. Factions are being happening, and it's a mess. And he'd gotten bad news from Chloe. Chloe was a woman that seemed to have a lot of money, and she was sending people back and forth from Ephesus to Corinth. And she's telling them, listen, you know that church that you started that was so powerful, that was having an impact, people coming, getting saved all the time? That church is a wreck. And Paul is responding to what he has heard about that wonderful church that doesn't seem too wonderful anymore. So there is bad news that he has to deal with. And Paul is, in a way, is rebuking them. He's saying, listen, there's divisions among you. I believe it. I can't believe that it's happening, but it is happening, and we'll have to deal with that. And Paul keeps stressing, my focus is on the gospel. The good news, the euangelion, that God, that Christ has given us now, and that we preach that good news of Christ. And that famous phrase, for to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. He repeatedly uses that, talk about that. What the world thinks is wonderful, God thinks it's ridiculous. What they think is ridiculous, Paul says, this is what really happens. It's the gospel and sharing that gospel, and living that gospel. And so Paul's saying, you are picking up all this stuff from all this Greek things and all this Latin stuff, all these things coming together. He says, you know what? It comes back to the cross, the cross and the fact of what God has done for us. And so that's what we're picking up early. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're near the end of that in verse 26. And there we've got this interesting passage. He starts off this way. Brothers, consider your calling. Remember, these people are very proud. These people are, have many gifts. Paul tells them, he said, this is a talented group. They are not only just talented in themselves, but they have got many spiritual gifts. This is the kind of church you think that's going to really do great for a really long time. Well, it didn't. And so Paul's saying, listen, I want to tell you, brothers, 
I want you to consider your calling. And he loves to use that word calling, talking about how God has brought us into right relationship with him. Brothers, consider your calling. He's speaking like to the congregation through his pen, through his writing. He said, not many of you from a human perspective, not many of you are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. As we know, most of these people were slaves or workers. They were not like the upper class, though there were some that were very wealthy, enough where they could go to people's homes and have their meetings there. But he said, not many of you were of noble birth. And notice this phrase, instead, God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise. And God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. Again, this idea of the upside-down kingdom. What the world says is wonderful. Paul says, you don't get it. It's the opposite. Well, this person's a great order. Not the point. It's just clearly bringing the gospel to people so they will know Christ. So notice what he says is here. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things that are viewed as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. He's like, there's this big balloon. And Paul's going, pop. What do you got now? Nothing. You're right. He's already said, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast about it? How can you boast about something that you didn't have anything to do with? He said, do you understand how stupid this is? That here you've got this opportunity to be sharing the gospel in a church that said right at the right place to be able to share the gospel in the world. People are going east and west, north and south, right through Corinth. And instead, people go, why would you want to go to that church? They're arguing with each other. They've got favorites. People go the other way. And he's saying, listen, don't you get it? God has chosen the world insignificant, despising the things that they think are great as nothing. He said, so they bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. No one, you or me, are ever going to say, God, you sure are lucky to have a person like me. Once again, God's going to go pop and realize it's all of mercy. It's all of grace. I earn death judgment, and hell. And so do you. But by God's grace, I've been given freedom. I've been given life. And Paul's saying, do you not understand this? That the most things that are most important are not what your world is telling you. We can take this into our time now what our culture is telling us. This is what's important. This is important. You need to see this movie. You need to see this. You need to have this TV. It's not important. We have to see it through God's eyes, God's perspective. So notice what he says in verse, this next verse. He says, this verse, he said, but from him, talking about Christ, you are in Christ. We've come across this before. The Apostle Paul loves that phrase, in Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. It's the idea that we are connected with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think I went backwards here. Excuse me. Um, no, went this way. Here it is. He said, but from him, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, you are like bound together with him. He said, you are in Christ Jesus, who for us, and then he gives three things that he has done for us. One, he's given us righteousness to us who are the unrighteous. Not righteousness that we've earned by doing good things, but by the mercy of God. 
that we experience his righteousness. We are declared righteous, even though we are not living righteous. He calls us now to be able to change by sanctification, growing in relationship with God, responding to what God has for us. And, of course, the third one, redemption. Of course, people in the ancient world at that time particularly knew that very well. Maybe you were a slave. Maybe you were saving money on the side, and you were, got enough money together where you could buy yourself out of your slavery, maybe with your children and your wife. Or it could be you were, you were captured in a war and, and they had to pay for you and somebody came up with the money to redeem you. And so Paul's saying, you know what that's all about? What Christ has done is by redemption has brought you into relationship. In order that it's written, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, in order that the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. In other words, there's nothing you've got that you can boast about when it comes to relationship with God. It's all mercy. It's all grace. Whenever we let away go away from that, we're in trouble. He's saying, don't you get it? The one who boasts must boast in the Lord. And so we move that into chapter 2, and we're just doing a short section here. Notice what he said. Paul's writing again. He says, listen, you know, when I came to you brothers, by the way, it is nice he still calls them brothers. He doesn't call them idiots, at least. You could have. I mean, they're a bunch of morons the way they're acting. But he's saying, but when I came to you brothers announcing the testimony of God to you. I didn't come to you with brilliance of a speech. It's that word, logos word. I didn't come with you with wisdom, that word Sophia that they love so much. He said, you know what? Those are the things that are important to you. You're two of your favorite things, both with wisdom and speech. He said, you know what? I didn't come to you that way. Well, that's why we don't like you, because it did, did, did. No, say, no, it's not that. I was well-trained. I could give you all the fancy philosophical stuff that you loved so much. I won't do that. He said, because that's not why. He said, I didn't come with brilliance of speech. And so what he says, the next says, for I determined, and listen to this phrase, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the core. If you get away from the core, you're away from God's will. God has called you to be here, to be willing to suffer, to be whatever that is, to follow him. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. In other words, I, all these things around me, all these issues, all these struggles, I have to keep saying the, the same thing. The, the most important thing is that the main thing keeps being the main thing. Bringing it down to what is the core? It's the cross. And what the cross means and what it means to us as individuals, what it means to us as a congregation, what it means for Christian faith. And he's saying, that's where I've got to keep it. There's so many things that draw us off, so many things that pull us away. And he's saying, it can't be this way. And then he says, listen, and I was with you, describing his earlier visit, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And it's interesting to stop for a minute and ask, if Apostle Paul was reincarnated, I don't believe in reincarnation, but if he was, it'd be interesting to ask the question, could the Apostle Paul get a job here working as a pastor in America? I think the answer is no. For one, he's single. That doesn't help you. Most guys are, have to, are married. They usually want you to have a wife to keep you straight, usually, uh, and that usually helps. So he, doesn't, he, was, he was single, but He's a person who is very, very strong. He told it just the way it is. And many people would be deeply offended if they had someone like the Apostle Paul preaching in their church. But he's saying, I'm not, it doesn't bother me a bit what you think about it. He said, I was with you in weakness 
The Greeks particularly thought that was terrible. That weakness, fear, we have no fear. You ought to be. And then much trembling. And so he says, listen, do you see what's happening here? He said, my speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but notice this, with a demonstration of the power of the Spirit, the pneuma, that idea of the fact that this is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that God has given us. This word pneuma, power, and this one dunamis, power, they kind of almost go together. They sometimes even just seem to merge together. Because there's a Spirit, we have the power. Because we have power, we've got the Spirit. He's saying... You're right. I don't have any of these old things, but you know what? I've got the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you've got all that you need in terms of relationship, to be able to have a relationship with God, to be empowered to do the things that God calls you to do. And so he says, my speech, my proclamation were not with persuasive words. I know you love that, particularly your words of wisdom. It's not about that. But with a demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith may not be based upon man's wisdom but in God's power. Right away, that I'll ask you questions. What about me? Is my life, my belief, based upon man's way or God's way? Most of us would not even be aware that we are on so much impacted by our own culture. It's kind of like, you know, the whole story about the frog. Everybody knows the story. You put a frog in and just slowly let the thing go. It takes so long, I mean, the frog finally just gets boiled out, doesn't know it, because it slowly happens. That's, of course, what's happening in America today. We're being accustomed to a culture that says, this is okay, we're going to ignore this, don't worry about that. It's all about me. And Paul's saying, you know what? It's not about you. And so he says, I want your faith and your might may not be based upon men's wisdom, but upon God's power. And then he seems to kind of changed from a different thing he just said. He just said, it's not about wisdom, it's not about all the stuff that you think is important, but he said, but now I will tell you about wisdom, but it's a kind of different wisdom that you're expecting. He said, however, among the mature, we do speak a wisdom, not a wisdom of this age, of this idea, the ion of an age, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Because all these things that you think are so important, these rulers, all these people with the wisdom, that's all going to be gone. But he said, among the mature, there is a wisdom, but it's God's wisdom, not yours. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom. And he says, in a mystery which God predestined before the ages for our glory, which is interesting. So the purpose was, is your glory. It's hard to imagine ourselves that God is doing this for our glory, that we one day will shine. Say, so, yeah, I'm not sounding like I'm shining too well, right? All right, but you will be. And God is doing that to our glory. He said that none of the rulers of this age knew it. In other words, they don't know what's happening, where it's coming. If they would, this is an interesting phrase, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's saying, I realize, I mean, you know, we know Paul, I mean, excuse me, Peter in his uh, in the book of Acts, he described the fact, they said, I realize that you guys didn't understand really what you were doing when all this happened. For example, if you look in the next, if you go to Acts chapter 3, he said, and now, brothers, Peter speaking, I know that you did it in ignorance, just as our leaders also did. Therefore, repent and turn back that your sins might be wiped out. He's saying, I realize that you didn't understand it. He said, if they would, they would have crucified Christ. But they did. And so he goes on and says, but as it is written, and here he quotes from the Old Testament, 
What no eye has seen or no ear has heard and what no one else has come into the heart of man is what God has prepared for those who love him. I love that phrase. We'll come back to it in just a minute. He said, now God has revealed them to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. And here it, it gets a little different. It's a little strange from what we're used to. But he makes the point, for whom among men knows the concerns of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? Do you really know what's going on in my heart? No. Do I really know what's going on in your heart? No. How would I know that? Unless you told me or my actions in some way seemed to tell you what was going on within me? He's saying it's because of the spirit. He says, for who among men knows the concerns of a man except the spirit of the man that sent him? In the same way, in the same way, no one knows the concern of God except the spirit of God. In other words, the spirit knows what the Father and the Son are doing. And he's telling them, he said, do you understand that? He says, now we have not received the spirit of the world, the way the world lives, but the spirit who is from God, in order to know that we have been freely given to us by God, we also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, again, that whole thing, putting aside human wisdom, but in those taught by the spiritual, the spiritual things to spiritual people. His point is God has given us an access to God. The Holy Spirit in one way is like that conduit that allows us to be able to have a relationship with Christ into the Father and to have that relationship that God has for us. Now notice what he says. And I, I realize that some of the th phrases that Paul uses are so different than what we're aware of, and this is one of them. And your, your Bible may be slightly different on this verse. This is verse 14. It says, but the natural man, and he's going to talk about how the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's spirit. But translating that is very difficult. Um, the Holman Christian Standard, which I use, says this, but the natural man does not welcome what comes. The NIV puts it, the man without the spirit is their way they describe it, which that works too, saying the man that doesn't have the spirit in, in with him is not the one that's going to get it. Um, the message, which is a great thing, but it's not, you know, um, you got to be careful because it's not considered, you know, something that's, you know, for everybody. But here's the point. He said the message, he put it this way, the unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, can't receive the gift of God's spirit. There's no capacity for them. That's a good way of describing them. The person apart from God does not have the capacity to understand the things that God wants to speak to his people. So however you want to describe it, it's still making the same point. The person without the capacity does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to know since it's evaluated spiritually. And notice what he says. The spiritual man, the person or woman, who is a person who's living with the Spirit, however, can evaluate everything. Yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. And he's saying, You're not, I'm not going to go by how, what you think about, because we have two different ways of describing what is great and what is not. But then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? And then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. And you stop and say, really? Where do I have that? Is it in my pocket? No. Is it in your faith? Yes. It's saying we, because, through the Spirit, have things we would not know apart from God's revelation to us to understand his will and his love for us and his desire of what he wants us to live, how he wants us to live. 
And so it's important to see how this passage is, which I admit, this passage is a little bit more difficult than the normal ones we have. He's making an important point that the Holy Spirit is the conduit between us and the Son and the Father, and how important that is to be able to understand what God has for us. And so it goes on this, but it is written, what no eye has seen or no ear has heard has never come into the heart of man is what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, this passage, I refer to it as a difficult passage, but it's not only a difficult passage, some people would think of it as a dangerous passage. This passage, in fact, let me read this. It's from, I think this is from Blumberg. He said, this section of Paul's letter has endured a most unfortunate history of application in the church. Almost every spiritual elitism, deeper life movement, or second blessing doctrine has appealed to this verse, to this text, even though each of these is 180 degrees the opposite of Paul's intent. Please understand what Paul's saying here. In the history of church, where it talks about, hum where we want to focus on humility, God's wisdom, he's saying, tragically, this passage has been misused again and again. We saw this in some of the early Pentecostalism. Uh, they had in some of the, some of the higher level meanings. People had, a, they had this idea of, there's two levels. There's the regular Christian, but then there's us Christians, the better people the people that really love God more. And whatever that group is, it always goes to seed and it always goes bad. It ends up with a two-level type of Christianity. By the way, we saw it in the church during the 15th and 16th century. You have priests and nuns and people like that, but then there's the hoi polloi. And of course, Luther was just arid. That's one of the things he hated as much, the fact that we were doing all that. It's like, we have two types of people. We've got the upper people who are the really, truly people. Then you've got the rest of us sinners down here. And this happened so many groups that they would get involved in this. And this not, would go bad to times where we have times, as I mentioned, early Pentecostal, those issues with us, where people would say, we have now ascended to a higher level of spirituality, which means that's why it's okay for me to have sex with my neighbor next door here, because they're also on that same plane that I am. And God's going, really? That's sin. But it's been very often in the history of the church that we have this two-tier Christianity, that you're going to ascend to a higher level, and all the rest of these peons down here, they don't really understand just how spiritual I am. And that has caused so much suffering in the church over so long. So we need to be careful that in the passages. Those passages, of course, in their context made that much more understandable. For us today, it seems a little strange, and it is. But notice if it is. I want to come back and we'll end in this one verse. I love this verse when he talks about all the things that are happening, but he says this, but as it is written, what no eye has seen or no ear has heard, what has never come into the man's heart is what God has prepared for those who love him. Think about that verse for a minute. The, the moment you feel the closest of God, the moment that you feel like you're so close to God you can experience it, at that point you realize there is so much more that God has for me than I'll ever experience in this world. I, you cannot, I cannot even comprehend how wonderful God has prepared a place for us. 
You know, sometimes people say, you know, I, I got up that morning and I, you know, looked at the mountains and I saw the sun coming up and it was a moment of this. And that is nothing compared to what we're going to experience on a regular basis on being with God. And it's saying, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard. And what has never come into man's heart is what God's prepared for those who love him. We have no idea of wondering what it's going to be like, but you went tell it's going to be wonderful. Remember the passage that Dara spoke to, I mean, read it just a little while ago? It talked about there's a time coming when there'll be no more sin, no more tears, no more crying. There's going to be a banquet like you have never seen in your life. Choice wine, choice meat. All of this, of course, looking at the idea of the fact that God has prepared a place for his people, his chosen people, to be with him forever in a place that's going to blow your mind beyond what you can ever understand now. But it's coming, and one day we'll experience it. But until then, we stay faithful, continue to do what he calls us to do, that we may hear that well done my servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for helping us through a difficult passage. We thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his writing. We realize that some of that's difficult for us to understand. But thank you, Lord, it reminds us that we're not listening to what the world says is what it's about, but it's what you have taught us. And Father, in that upside-down kingdom where we don't care about what the world has, but Father, what you've given us, that's what we're looking for. And we're asking that you would work in us and through us, we pray. Lord, we pray that you'd help us in a few minutes when we come to the Lord's table, that our hearts would be prepared. And that, Father, we remember again at the price that we could have salvation through you. Be with us now, we pray. Amen.